0: Okay. So in Deuteronomy, where it gives the, 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 when you're under the covenant, you receive the blessings and you're not under covenant, you receive curses or when you break covenant. Um, so if you, you are covenanted and you notice yourself or you feel you're covenanted, but yet you see yourself getting, you know, not all of the blessings or you see some of the curses still in your life. Does, can, can you, can you determine at that point, you're not covenanted or you are covenanted or how does that, how does that work?
1: great question okay so understand the torah is written as a legal text it's a treaty it's not really a religious document it has it has worship and it has uh service how you do in the temple to worship god but it's basically a treaty of the nation so in regards to Deuteronomy 28 Deuteronomy 28 is written in a very interesting context uh it's a it's called it's called uh casuistic to the scholars, call it casuistic. It means that the patron, in this case, the great sovereign, says to you and me, we are the servants. He says, if you obey me, I will protect you. I will take care of you. I will give you all the blessings. If you obey. Now, we make covenant through confession. You know, we, we make a, an oath, covenant, a covenantal uh, oath, oath covenant we're bound by that oath. The moment you come in the covenantal relationship, it creates a dynamic of a, of a, of a friendship between you and your, uh, the great king, in this case, God. Deuteronomy 28 is about what is called casuistic, which means that if, that's why it's written, if you do this, I will do this. Mm-hmm. If you do this, I will do this because it's a recipro- it's a reciprocal relationship. I'm in covenant. I Now I'm grateful to God, so I'm going to obey him so that everyone would know that I serve the God of Israel. He allowed me part of the covenant. I have the benefits of the covenant. If I disobeyed him willfully, uh, in this case, I walk away from him, or I continually do what It's not supposed to, then I open myself the doors of the curses because I agree to them. It's like you sign a contract to your house or your car. Did you read the whole contract? It's a lot of stuff. You put your signature, you start making the payments. But then if you stop making payments, right, as long as you make the payments, you're good. Right. The moment you start making payments, the bank sends you a notice. Hey, you're late. Then you call back, yo, uh, I'm really sorry, can I pay you back next month? Sure, there's a period of grace. You take six months, yo dude, you gotta give me some money or I put a lien on your house or whatever it is. Eventually, if you continually to disobey the covenantal uh, agreement that I would obey in exchange for protection, provision, and, you know, then God's, uh, then the bank says, I'm going to take your house. I'm going to take your car. Because you broke the terms and conditions. But you have a grace period. There's always grace. Yeah. The book of Deuteronomy is structured so that Israel would understand that God wants you and I to live a life that is free from oppression from God, that I am willing to make the decision every day to obey him. And my effort of obedience is going to be rewarded by him, by the blessings, because it's only good for him for us to obey him so that everyone sees us. And they say, well, who do you serve? and he'll bless you according to the measure of your responsibility. Like I have kids, so if one of my sons does not handle $1,000 responsibly, but the other one does, it doesn't mean that I don't love one more than the other, it's just that I know one is more responsible than the other. So you give them based on their level of accountability and responsibility that they have. When we prove our worth, our loyalty and our, our accountability and responsibility, then the Creator keeps, keeps enlarging our territory. The problem is in the church system, they made us believe that if something goes wrong in our lives, it's a demon attacking us, or that we did something so dramatically wrong that God no longer wants a relationship with us, and that is not true. Remember, you open the doors, for example, uh, how long have you guys been married?
0: Um, almost, almost, almost nine years, eight. Okay, so
1: you know that when you every year you get to know each other better, Mm -hmm. and every year the conversation and the relationship, she lets you know what she likes, what she doesn't like, and vice versa. It has to work that way. If she chooses not to do what is pleasing to you or you do the same and it's continual and willful, eventually the relationship suffers because now you're not ministering to one another. So you took the oath. The vows is basically the commitment you made to that oath in the relationship. So what is the benefit of the relationship? A covenantal one. In this case, we have the benefit of having intimacy with our wife. That's one of them. We have to grow our family together. We can share all our, you know, whatever we come together, we share with each other. So there's not really you here and me here. We're one. Same thing with God. But what would separate me from my wife if I choose to take another woman? If I choose to be unfaithful, that completely severs the relationship, and there's chaos. That's why the Torah and the Ten Commandments now is written in uh, the Ten Commandments is written in the apodictic, which means God says, "I am the King. You want to be in covenant with me. You accepted the covenant. So now this is what I will not compromise." This is why I draw the line. You want to serve me? I'll bless you. But this is the line, the cutoff line. You should not have any other gods before me. You should not do this. You should not do this. You should not do this. Do not commit adultery. Because he is putting his name, his character, his authority, his protection, and his integrity on us. So he says, I'm willing to give you everything I have in my creation. The only thing you need to do is follow these 10 basic principles that will protect my honor by your behavior. And then everyone would know that your behavior reflects a covenantal relationship with the creator. So when in Deuteronomy 28, it becomes a bilateral. In other words, God says, you're already in covenant with me, but I want to bless you more. If you do this, I'll do this. Mm -hmm. But if you willfully do this and do not obey, then guess what? You open the doors for chaos. God doesn't curse us. We ourselves open the doors. And the best example I can give you that I can think of right now, you in the car. The law is put on your seatbelt. And the seatbelt is for a reason, to keep you protected. It doesn't feel comfortable. We don't like it. But it serves a function, right? So you refuse to put the seatbelt on. You have the car, you got the blessing, but you didn't follow through on the protection, and then you, God forbid, you have a car accident, and then you really get hurt. Whose fault was it? Was it a guy who, uh, who was a God, or was it the fact that he gave you the seatbelt, so if in case some guy would try to hit you with a car, he can control that, then you'll be safe, you follow? So the yeah. Torah is designed the same way. The Torah says, look, I'm going to do something that no nation has ever done. I'm going to give you freedom within my covenant. I want to nothing but bless you. And then, but if you do it, man, I'll do anything for you. But if you continue to do what is not pleasing to me, it's like if you have a child and you tell them, throw the trash out, and then they refuse willfully, and then they want 20 bucks. Are you out of your mind, really? You don't obey me and now you want me to give you money? No, you earn your way. That's exactly what God's trying to say. saying, like, listen, I will bless you, but this is a bilateral relationship. I need you to do me a favor. I need you to keep the Sabbath so that everyone will know that I'm your king. Keep the feast, so that people will know that I redeemed you on Passover, that I gave you freedom on Pentecost, that I am your judge in the Day of Atonement, and that we're going to dwell together in tabernacles. I mean, I need you to do your part. Eat clean. So that the people would ask you, who is this God that you serve that gives you such amazing righteous judgments that you're not getting as sick as everyone else? And then you have an opportunity to give a testimony. So we are in covenant. Just because you have an argument with your wife doesn't mean that your relationship is over. Right. That's why the Lord follows and sends the prophets all the time. Is this making sense? Yeah, it is, but... Okay,
2: yeah, so... I understand what you're saying but a uh, question. is like, It's a daily thing or once you covenant, you covenant, and then you just under the covenant. And yes, you're going to sin because we're sinners, you know, when you fall and you get up and, and kind of, you know, but, um, let covenant yeah. once and for all, or, you know, you, or okay. daily thing uh, that we break it and have to go covenant again
1: no I mean, no no i got you, I got you. Yeah. okay i just gave you an example hopefully it'll make sense if you and your husband have an argument he got you mad yeah. is your marriage over no that's what it's exactly the same way that's why in the bible there's always the metaphor of a relationship of marriage between us and the creator
2: okay so. it's like
1: it's a, it's a relationship Yes, yeah, so, okay, so the blessings. I'm just trying to understand Wait, the blissism that Wait One second, because I, I think, I, I apologize, you, you, you talked about sinning, so I, I like to define that term, because okay. if, if, we, if, if we do not define what you just said, then it would appear that, oh, I fall, and then is he going to get rid of me, or oh, I messed up, is he going to get rid of me, and that's not the character of God, he's loyal. Okay, sin can be translated in two ways in the Bible. Uh, is chata'at means uh, purification. Okay, it's so, like you do something wrong. It's like, okay, you get your wife mad and then she she says, get out, I don't even want to see you. Get out of my face, right? And then you give her a little space and then you come back with flowers. And you said, honey, I'm sorry. And then she looks at, oh, okay, you know? And then intimacy and friendship and relationship and conversation occurs. Okay, the temple was to do the same thing. It was like, you messed up you offended you 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 profane the temple now make it right you bring an offering not that god needs the offering it's just that you're in a covenant relationship and our sin or our transgressions profanes god's temple the altar the animals is for food for the priest so, your, your offering and your repentance brings reconciliation in that relationship, okay? So, sin, you need to define it, because there are three levels of sin in the Bible. There is what is called chata'at avon pesha. You find that in Exodus 34. Okay, there are three levels, national, communal, and individual, okay? What we do now, we're doing individual, we mess up. We don't mean to do it in rebellion. The key here is intent. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put it in the purview of, um, of the, I was just driving when you were calling me and my wife says, slow down, you're going by school zone. Okay, now I'm not drunk, I'm not crazy, so I slow down. But what if I'm driving five minutes over, to, um, five minutes, 10 miles over the speed limit in a school zone, the cops gonna stop me, I'm gonna get a ticket, right? But then tomorrow I come back, the cop is there, and I'm drunk now, and I go twice the speed limit when the kids are crossing the street, knowing that I'm not supposed to. That's intent. You see what I mean? So the intent of my disobedient, and you see the example of this when the guy picking up the sticks on the Sabbath.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the issue was not picking the sticks. The issue is that in the Hebrew text it says that he was high-handed against God. In other words, to him, it didn't matter what God said. I'll show you. I'm going to go pick up sticks because I want to, you know? And that's rebellion. That's the key. When we do something out of willful rebellion, that's what the book of Hebrews tells us that if we willfully sin after the knowledge of truth, there's no longer remission for sin, you see? So it's your intent. Okay. If, if, if you do something willfully deliberately knowing that you're not supposed to, you did it anyway versus, man, I was really man I wanted to eat a chocolate, a chocolate ice cream, and I should have and but you know my flesh, you know what I mean, I, I'm going to eat it anyway I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Well, you wanted to because your flesh, right? That is something different. Mm-hmm. They're saying, "I don't care what the doctor says, and I don't really care what anybody says, I'm going to eat my ice cream, but then you can't complain about the heart attack later. You see what I mean? That's willful. And I think that when I understood this, my sister, my life became, wow, I was able to breathe. It's like, this relationship can never be broken by him. Because he swore by his great name, swearing that oath, he is bound by his word. So he will never break it. That's why he established the commandment as, if you do it. Mm In other words, if you do it, this would happen to you because I'm not doing it to you. I'm bound by my oath. Okay. But if you obey me, I'm there for you. But if you willfully, continually do it to the point that I can no longer stand your sin, I'm going to send you outside my camp because I cannot put up with people willful, will, willfully rebelling and I'm loyal here. You see? Yes. So you can never lose your salvation unless you willfully, rebelliously reject it okay God doesn't take it away that's why Paul says the gifts of God are irrevocable. He's not playing that you know that little that little puppet master you know that's what I love about the Torah man when you understand it from a cultural perspective it's like he's so concrete in how what he wants, what he expects from us, what he likes, it's like you hearing everything from your wife, and she tells you exactly what she likes, to minutia, to like the way you even look at her. And then your job is to say, "I want to be in love with my wife forever, so I want to do what pleases her," because she already told you what she liked.
0: Yeah. So,
1: but if after ten years she says, "Well, I told you what I like, but I really don't like that," well, that's her problem, because she didn't tell you what she liked. You see, well, the Torah, there's no, there's no. Uh, uh, in Spanish, it says that, so, okay, los dioses son um, caprichosos. In other words, that the gods were capricious, that you didn't know what to expect. Kind of like you know? No, como caprichosos, like you don't know what you're getting. Okay. C- capricious, you know? It's like you don't know what you're getting. Uh, one day they're in a good mood, another day you don't, know, you know, whatever. But the Torah is different. The Torah is written in a format unlike any other ancient treaty. It's like God says, this is what I like this is who I am, this is what I'll do, and I give you my word. Now, my job is to say, I believe you, I trust you, I will follow through with it. So now I'm going like, okay, and then he does it better. He says, if you mess up, because I know you live in this real world, this is the way to make it better. Bring an offering.
2: Okay. If
1: you mess up, you're good. Just Listen, I know you live in this real world, because I created you, but I'm not throwing you out like all these other gods, supposedly. I'm just going to tell you how to make it better. So if your wife tells you, if you ever mess up, just bring me the dark chocolates with little sprinkles on top. (laughs) You know, you know, that's going to be your go-to move, man.
0: Yeah.
1: I mess up dark chocolate with sprinkles on top, right? What the Torah tells us, God desires a deeper dimension of a relationship. It's incredible that he says, okay, you want to approach me? You messed up. You're not outcasts. Let me tell you how you do it then follow the steps. And then he tells you the steps. And then he says, and by the way, and I know you can come in in certain areas of my temple, so I'm going to put the priest here to help you so you don't really mess it up. That's grace. That's like, thank you, Lord, because you really do what You really truly want to be with me. And that's what keeps me in a place of awe of him. It's like, you really want me to be with you. You really want me to have to share who you are. And even when I'm not worthy of it, you don't get thrown me away. You know what I mean? Like, like use goods. So defining the terms is important because I just painted a complete different picture of what sinning and covenant is. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So sorry, I interrupted okay. you, but I needed to expand on that.
2: Yeah. Okay. So when, okay. So the way I see it is you keep the covenant with blessings. Because I'm just trying to, understand about the blessings and the curses. So when that curse when the blessings come in, when you perfect and you don't break anything because they say they will fall on you when you're covenant, uh do there that's something if I don't see all blessings in my life, am I doing something wrong or no. that's a question that I want to do. You know what I mean? Well, perfection before you get the blessings.
1: Okay, so what is your definition of perfection? That's the key.
2: Well, you know, perfection is like don't see, but that's impossible.
1: Right, you know, like, so, yeah, let,
2: so. Not in purpose, you know, like you, you just like, like you said, you know, you don't do it in purpose and you don't see it in purpose and that's different than when I'm rebellion. Right. But if, I'm, if we're doing everything right and we, we like covenant, but we don't see the blessings on us, that means we're not covenant, but we're trying to do Good. everything right.
1: Let's define what perfect is so you understand how you can make it different. Differ- in the Western world, perfect means you are always on point, you never mess up, But in the Bible, the the word for perfect is tamim, which means morally upright. Okay. Yeah. And just righteous. Somebody who helps the needy, the homeless, the widows, takes care of the needy. Okay? So perfection to God is is much different than what we, in, in the Western society, we assumed. We assumed that perfection has to be everything perfect to the point in order for God to be pleased. But the Lord understands that we live in the real world. So, therefore, He says, I'm going to really want you to focus on two main areas be righteous, because that's my character, and be moral, because that's my character. So, what we need to do is look to Scripture, what is morally accepted and what is righteous according to His standards. Then, when you start, when you use that as your measuring stick in your daily life, everything else, You know then what the out of bounds are, because the whole work, the whole world functions as what is morally right and wrong, and what is righteous and unrighteous. So it simplifies everything. So if I am doing the right things, if I'm living a morally upright life, then the Lord is pleased with me. That's what He wants. If I make a mistake in speech, or I get upset one day. The key is not not to have hatred to somebody or to, you know, whatever, but we live in a real world, and this is the thing that many people in the Christian realm do not understand the term. So they put this extra pressure of the definition of perfection of the Western world, and then they always fall short because we all have tempers, we all have egos, we all have, you know, that's the way life is. But what I found in Scripture is that God says, look, You know, be morally upright and be righteous. Everything on the side, you can work on and make it better. You know, because there's always all the the, other commandments that gives you direction, how to behave in regards to those things. So you are constantly renewing your mind. God is saying, but my covenant with you is eternal. i am never changed. God God does not lie. He never changes. So therefore, once I understood that, it's like, okay, he is perfect he is righteous, he is moral. He never changes, he keeps his word. Okay, so the responsibility is mine. So based on my obedience, I noticed the last 22 years that based on my consistent obedience, and try to always put into practice those two main pr- principles in the bible morally upright and now uh, uh, righteous righteousness according to the torah then i started to see how he began to started to bless me more and more and more and more so we need to define what blessing is yeah i mean like i have a, a great process. wife it's like a process yes okay. absolutely okay. absolutely like for example i am blessed why because I could never keep anybody happy until I found Torah. But even after I started Torah, I needed to change in order to become the better husband for my wife. Then once I became, once I proved that I was taking responsibility, that I was changing, that I was growing, then the father okay. gave me my wife.
2: Yeah,
1: so now the changed. work started. Yeah. yeah. Now the process began. I, I'm not perfect, you know. I get I get her upset at me sometimes, yeah. you know, and, I, and then vice versa. But I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm never leaving her. I gave my word. I'm committed forever. You see, that relationship now reveals in the physical to what I've learned in the spiritual. It's a vertical, horizontal relationship. And that's really what the Torah is trying to convey to us. You trust him, and you're loyal, and you're faithful. So now I need to be accountable. So when I have a phone by myself on my own, I need to keep myself accountable. I cannot betray my wife. She's not going to be there twenty four hours a, 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 a day trying to watch what I'm watching. No, that's my responsibility to uphold the oath and the commitment and the trust. So if that's true here, it's also true here, and that's what really Torah is trying to teach us. So stop. So we stop feeling like we have this burden in our heart, in our in our minds that we have to do everything perfect the way we think in the Western world. Yeah. I mean, your husband knows you're not perfect and you sure know he's not perfect, right? Yeah. (laughs) But are you looking for perfection on each other or are you looking for compatibility and leaning towards the same goal? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that for sure.
1: And by the way, the more you are together, the more you get to know one another, the more perfection comes in line. So eventually you say, that's a perfect person for me. You know, because you're leaning in the same direction. We are all walking in the same direction and we have been perfected as we walk through what I did not think it was relevant five years ago. Today, I'm a little bit more adamant about it because I'm understanding loyalty, oath. I'm seeing the blessing and I say, Lord, I want to be more loyal to you. This feels good that I could call out to you and you hear my prayer. Or that you're provided so I could help somebody else. What do I need to do to maintain this relationship to flow? And that's really what... You see, these little terms Mm -hmm. really come to the table and really allows us to get a greater, deeper dimension of the character of God. If we go back and define it by biblical standards, because when we try to do it by religious standards or denominations, it changes with every denomination. So it puts more pressure on us, you know, when in fact... You know, for example, you say something wrong when you get upset. That God is going to punish you with a whip. No, you say I shouldn't have said that. I'm so sorry. You know, and then you don't. And then you try not to do it again next time. Yeah. Yeah. But people use grace as an excuse to do whatever they want. Yeah. It's yeah. like you are telling your husband, "I married you. I can do whatever I want. I got the ring. Isn't that enough?" No. This is just a sign of the covenant. Your behavior when you wear your ring determines to whom you're in covenant with. Okay. Yeah.
2: Okay, so question. Um, is there, you know how you're, you're uh, like in the seven day of Venice, you get baptized. That's how you show your seven day of Venice. Is there a, yeah. a, a process that we need to do, like to be baptized, uh, to, you know, to be covenant, or just literally just, being faithful to Yah and, and everything, and that's our covenant, or...
1: Okay. I don't know. Baptism was a principle in the Bible. Baptism, of mikveh, or tevilah in Hebrew, is a rite of passage from one state to the next one. So, in the church system, normally, a baptism is to show all the witnesses that you want to transition from the world into the kingdom of God now that still holds true in uh religious jewish circles because mikveh is a blueprint of a transition of new creation you come out from this world you make a covenant oath you go in the water as if you're being born again you come out then you're adopted into the kingdom of god so i do believe that in the in the the torah world that we should do a mikveh because we are, it's a way of us saying, it's not like you need it for salvation, because that's a gift God gives you. Yeah. But it's more like making a physical demonstration that, you know, I am being committed to this covenant and I'm going to behave as a new creation in the image of the God that I'm serving, not in the image of the denomination that I belong to. Very different. I mean, I'm glad I recorded it, because you're asking very good questions that I think sometimes many people have, they had the same questions. So when, like, when I grew up in a Pentecostal church, the baptism was so that you can become a member, now you pay your tithe there, and then you cannot belong, you cannot be a member in any other church, or oh, by the way, you cannot hold any kind of uh, uh, positions of authority in that church unless you did a baptize or you spoke in, taint, uh, in tongues. You have to have both. Oh. But no one in the Bible doesn't say that, but they came up with that to identify who were supposed to be the people who belonged to their group. But in fact, many of them were crooks. Yeah. So they went through the steps, but their lifestyles were completely uh, separated from, the, from what God required okay so right. many many congregations consider baptism as a requirement for salvation that's not true it's a rite of passage from unclean from death from exile to life to cleanse to uh, to a new creation so i would do it but you don't need the whole congregation to see it you and your husband can go to a river, can go to a pool where there's running water, or you can go to the sea, and then you do the confession, you do the Shema, which is he or Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and then you go down in the water, don't go backwards, that's not biblical, it's always either forward or down. and. Um, and then you come out of the water as a personal commitment to say god i want to be a new creation for you i want to be committed for you i want to be a representative of your kingdom from this moment on so it's really not a difficult process sadly many people make it such a big deal okay
0: okay so thank you so so, so now kind of just going off of what you were just saying about the whole pentecostal speaking in tongues that's like receiving the holy spirit you know and and do you have a teaching on the Holy Spirit? Where you I do of... a
1: Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I like a trust link. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a Spanish class every Wednesday morning at 10 oh. o'clock Eastern time. Okay. And then when I record, I record it and I put it on the on my Spanish website. It's called teshuva.tv. I'll send you the link. Okay. And then you go on Bajo Fundamentos, and then you have all the series. I have the Book of Acts. I have the book of uh, um, Galatians, and I also have the book of Corinthians that I'm working through right now. But I'm going to do those in English also. On my website, I did the book of uh, Galatians, so you can go on my right. website in English and you see it there. That's a very important book if you're going to be talking to a lot of the Adventists right. because they use Galatians as a uh, as a rebuttal for Torah. So. Right.
0: Well, like one of the things like my dad even tells me, he's like, he's like telling me that, well, the 10 commandments, you have to keep the 10 commandments, because those were the stones that were put inside of the ark. But then the book of the law was placed on the in a pocket on the side on the outside of the ark. So when when um when jesus he's telling me when jesus died on the cross then that that, you know like you can't you can't nail stone because it'll shatter but you can nail like a book and he got that from i don't you probably you probably heard of doug bachelor from amazing ministries he does says the same thing and that's like a common thing and it's like so then my rebuttal is always, okay, so then you're saying that homosexuality is okay, because that wasn't specifically mentioned, you know, you're saying that eating pork is okay. And my dad's like, well, no, that's obviously that's wrong. And I was like, well, then obviously, you know, the, the, you look at the whole Torah and the reason why we can, you know, then he'll, he'll jump in with, oh, so what are you going to do? You're going to go over and do sacrifices then you're going to go sacrifice a lamb. And it's like, well, we can't do that because there is no, there's no temple right that exists. Right now there's no priestly system that ex- right. no, no you know no legit priestly system that exists right now
1: yeah you and know then goes- I, I, you'll go circles and circles but it can be very easily explained if you go mm-hmm. back to the to the context if you go back to the contextual perspective of the time frame when the when moses wrote the torah and when he put the book of the law by the ark of the covenant mm-hmm to which generation did he do it for? Think. Well, Second so. generation, correct? Yeah. yeah. Before they went into the land, correct? Right. So you look at this book right here, you look at this book right here, and we're gonna go to that chapter. That's in the book of Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Do you remember exactly what it is? The book of the law and the of the book of the covenant?
0: Do I remember which
1: chapter it's in? Yeah. No, I don't. All right. So, when you look into, say, in chapters twenty something, I'll find it.
0: Okay. okay. Not twenty eight, is like
1: I think it's 20. chapters twenty nine. Ceremony. Yeah. Towards the end, yeah. Yeah. Blessings and curses, covenant renewal. Okay. Um. There we go. So, succession and the position and recitation of the text, right? And then he puts reading the covenant document. Present it to all, give me a second. I'm looking for it here. Yourselves, Israelites. So, context is important. Mm -hmm. 32, demons. And then he has to put it next to the. I got to find it now. Okay. Okay. Have you ever read about uh, covenantal renewals of the ancient Near East?
0: I did see, I did see, so I, I saw, uh, um, well, I saw your teaching on like the blood or the, the covenant of the pieces. Right. And then on um, the Threshold Covenant, yeah, the, the Salt Covenant, but I haven't gotten through that one yet.
1: Yeah, go to the Ancient Near Eastern section on my website, okay. and I have, on the Yeshiva section, I have 12 hours, 12 hours worth of Ancient Near Eastern topics, from the treaties to adoption to covenantal renewal, all this stuff is there. So if you remember the verse, help me out, so I can't remember right now.
0: Um, let me see if I can look it up here.
1: So, i don't have my Bible with me. Cool.
0: So, um, so what we're looking for the, uh, the, the book of the the-,
1: the the book of the law and the book of the covenant. Okay. <phone rings> Check this out. So, you have your Bible with you?
0: Um, yeah, I have it on. Uh, I mean, I have my, the one sure. I have on, on my computer.
1: Yeah, read it. Read uh, Deuteronomy 31, verse 22.
0: Okay. 31 22. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be a little bit slow right now okay gonna, yeah. as you
1: as you're getting that let me read this to you this is a commentary based on how the ancient people will do it in a covenantal renewal ritual okay now this oh. was prevalent throughout the ancient world this is not just uh only limited to israel and this is highly important that we understand this because many people assumed that you know the bible was written only in the bubble when in fact the bible was written so that the nations could also understand the character of god all right so watch this Hittite treaties the Hittite is what modern day turkey is yeah. prevalent kingdom during the time of israel when they enter canaan and the time in, in uh in babylon um and the time of the egyptian too it says the uh, hitai treaties provided for the deposition of the treaty covenant documents or whatever material iron bronze clay stone silver it was desirable to have a copy of these covenant uh, documents on file but also to make future public periodic readings possible. The document was deposited before the gods. So this is what happened. You and I uh, make a covenant. Mm -hmm. You are a greater king than me. You will be called a sovereign or a suzerain. I will be a king to my kingdom of a lesser status, and I'm the vassal king. So what I will do is... I come in covenant with you. I need protection. I need provision. If those people fight against me, I need you to come save me. Right. Thus, no weapons form against you shall prosper because God is in covenant with us. Get it? All right. So now what happens is we agree to the terms. You say, if you do this, I'll do this. And I say, I will do it. Then there's an animal. We cut the animal in half. We walk between the pieces. The blood ratifies the covenant. That's why Moses took half of the blood, sprinkled on the people, half of the blood blood, sprinkled on the altar, making a link of a covenantal nature between God, the altar, and Israel. That means that when you and I mess up, we defile the altar because that's the authority of God. Now we got to go fix it. That's why we bring the offerings. Right,
0: right. Okay.
1: So now that we agree to the terms... We went through the rituals. I used the name of my God to ratify and to guarantee that I would uphold the conditions. You will swear by the name of your God, if you're a king and I'm a king, that you are witnesses, that you will be bound to your word based on the oath you made to your God. Now, we will take the uh, the covenantal conditions, the covenant, it could be stone, like it says here iron, bronze, clay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, you write a copy, I write a copy, and there was a third copy that was written in the Acadian language that used to be the international business language of the ancient world, like English is today, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, so what you will do next is you take your copy, and I take my copy of the document, and I go back to my country, you go back to your country, and you will go that you place it at the footstool of the God that you use as guarantor of the covenant. I'll do the same. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so let's say that I have a son. Now okay. I'm going to die. So my son, I tell him, make sure that you maintain your oath and your covenant with the king, who's our sovereign. When mm-hmm. I die, my son is coming to you to ratify the covenant because you want to, he wants to make sure that the kingdom is protected because once I die, that covenant is annulled. But the covenantal renewal can continue if my son is obeying that. That's why you have the presidency every four years, go to the Capitol, swear allegiance, and representatives from all over the world, they show up. In other words, this man is going to continue the Constitution and every agreement they're made with us in the world. It's a covenantal renewal every four years.
0: Uh
1: Okay, so it says, the document was deposited before the God and and was read in the presence of the king and the sons of the Hittite country curses were declared against anyone who will be so bold as to remove damage destroy or deface the treaty or covenant document that's why the torah says curse be he who adds or take away anything from this law right it's written in a legal treaty way bro it's crazy okay in other words i could go to israel right now and if i was, if i were given the incredible honor to present the case for israel in the united nations and I don't say this in arrogance, please understand my heart, but we have the archaeological evidence that we can prove that Israel belongs to God and we, we, he is sovereign, because the, the Torah was, was written as a sovereign uh, document from the great king. Mm-hmm. Okay, now it says, uh, it says, to destroy, deface the treaty or a covenant uh, document, curses were set forth for the person who would change the document. That's why, when somebody changes the Torah, I cringe, because it's a legal thing. You don't have the legal right to do it. It has to go through a court of law. Okay. Okay? That's why I don't change the feasts. That's why I don't change the calendars. That's why I don't change the name, because that's all under the, the holy sovereignty of the priesthood, which were the judges of this time. When you change those things, you open the door for curses.
0: Right, because okay. now you transgress
1: the covenant. You're not out of the covenant, but you are suffering the penalty for transgression of the covenant. And yeah. more in Syria is a, a, a Sukru festival reflects a number of significant parallels between it and certain features of the covenant in Deuteronomy. Now check this out: a covenant renewal ceremony was held every seven years. It's interesting that the Torah tells us that we are to read the Torah every seven years to the whole congregation, because it's a covenantal renewal, and we read the covenant every year on a cycle, and as a nation, every seven years in the the Shemitah, okay? And it says, which parallel parallels the seven-year cycle of covenant reading and covenant renewal laid out in Deuteronomy chapters 31 verse 10 through 11. Can you read those two verses, please? Okay, 32,
0: 10, 31, to 11, 31 11. verse 10 to 11. 10 to 11. Here we go. uh and Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before before all Israel in their hearing.
1: There you go. You see, in yeah. other words, all of Israel needs to hear that you are in covenant with God. Right. Isn't that cool? So I yeah. say, Uh, And it says this, which parallels the seven-year cycle of the covenant reading and the the covenant renewal laid out in Deuteronomy 31, verse 10 to 11, at the Feast of Booth, Tabernacles. The ritual calendar of this religious festival began on the first full moon of the year, which is Nisan, for the calendar uh, agricultural cycle, okay? Okay. And it says um, this... The Sukru festival included all those who functioned as an essential parties in the festival. The king was there, though he was not the key participant, as was the practice in Israel. In verse 12, the seventh year was also special in the Ugarit. Ugarit is modern-day Syria or North Lebanon, okay? And it says seven-year cycles uh, with a preparatory period in the sixth year are also found. In the sixth year preparations were made for the seventh year. the sukru festival was directed to the gods a total of seventy and involved a treaty or covenant bond between mr a city and its and its god Dagan, a grain god okay so so yeah. what we saw here is that they used to practice covenantal renewal practices. So when an, uh, when an Adventist comes to me and says, well, you have the book of the law and the book of the covenant, then I ask, well, have you ever studied ancient Near Eastern covenantal renewal rituals? And they obviously say no. So when you go back to its context and the way that it was practiced at the time when Moses wrote it, it's a complete understanding that the second generation, Moses is going to die he is leaving joshua and they want he wants to make sure that everyone is on board that this man is going to continue to lead them in covenant and that god is not going to betray them and that's why they go all over the river jordan a baptism get it yeah. over the river jordan they go to a mountain and there they do a sacrifice to ratify the covenant okay so when Yeshua died and resurrected, what was nailed to the cross that was against us was death, because oh death is the, uh, is the penalty for willful, rebellious, covenantal transgression.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: see, you keep the Torah, you follow every commandment perfectly, but all of us are going to die unless Messiah comes tomorrow. Yeah. We're all going to die. But you see, when we accept the covenant, God says, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you salvation. It's a gift from me for your loyalty. All you need to do is keep the commandments to show everyone that I am your, uh, I'm your king, that I'm your sovereign. Keep the Sabbath so they know that I am that I created the heavens and the earth. And keep the feast so they will know that I have a plan of redemption. Keep the commandments so they know that you're righteous and live a moral life so they will see you through me. They will see me through you. Okay. And the gift is you're not going to die. So how do we know that the God of Israel has dominion over death? By resurrecting his son, that's why the confession of faith in Romans chapter ten verse nine says, "If you confess, if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is your master, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be you shall be saved." In other words, the resurrection of Yeshua is to show you that God of Israel renewed the covenant with Israel. He wants to renew it with all of humanity, and the guarantee is that He will allow you to be with Him in the garden. But you have. Have to live forever. As long as we have death, mm-hmm. rain, uh, death cannot be in the sight of life. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's a long answer to your question. But you see how cultural background resources can help you answer that very simple question of your father's concern. It's a concern, right. but remember, and I'll finish with this. What is the problem with Christianity and Judaism today? Okay. so. Christianity was founded over 350 years after Yeshua died and resurrected, okay? Mm-hmm. Judaism, as we know today, was really founded after the destruction of the temple in the year 70, and then when they went into the dispersion, it kept evolving, evolving into what it is today. Now, there are a lot of elements of truth within both, but they are looking at the Bible from a—for example, Christianity is looking at the Bible from a Greco-Roman perspective— even the Protestants, they mm-hmm. still think Greco-Roman in their interpretation of Scripture, mm-hmm. right? And the Jews, they're still thinking from after the destruction of the temple, they do read Ezra, they read things, the Mishnah, which is important, by the way. And, uh, but it developed into something completely different during the Middle Ages. Why? Because they are living outside of the realm of Jerusalem without a temple and they're trying to figure out the commandments living in Europe, South America, Africa, all over the world where you have different needs and different situations so they're looking at the Bible and going like well that don't make sense to me because I'm living in South Africa and the Bible was written in the Middle East so now I'm dealing with different situations geographically and now they're trying to interpret the Bible that was written to a people in the Middle East and they're trying to apply the same principles completely away from that geographical position. Now But you can be righteous anywhere. You can be morally upright anywhere. So therefore, God says, no matter where you're at, you can still keep my Sabbath. No matter where you're at, you should not commit adultery. No matter where you're at, you still help the needy, the homeless, and the widows. You see? The interpretation without a temple, some things apply, some things don't only because I'm in a different geographical location. So when somebody says, well, are we going to go stone people now? I laugh. Literally, what I do now, I laugh. And I say, let me ask you a question. Did you know that there are 613 commandments, 279 of them are related to the temple, and you cannot stone anyone unless there's a Sanhedrin council and there's a priest and, there, and it has to be in the land of Israel under a theocracy. So how can I apply certain laws here in America when I'm not living in the United States? But I could apply every single commandment that deals with morality and righteousness. Right. That's because we do not study law. Now, you see these books right here? Mm -hmm. This is a very important book. Menachem Elon, he did Jewish law, history... Sources and principles. It's called Hamishpat Habrit, hybrid. Okay, hybrid. It's basically written by a guy who was a rabbi who was also a Supreme Court Justice of Israel, and okay. he is outlining for us really what law case is, which we never study. Right. That's why Yeshua is always talking to the lawyers, the Pharisees, the, the scribes. They were lawyers. That's Mm -hmm. why the father used Paul to do the work. He's a Roman citizen. He was a Pharisee. He was a lawyer, equipped at the highest level of study, raised at the feet of Gamaliel, for crying out loud. We're talking about a guy who spoke minimum four languages. He had to speak Greek, Aramaic, history, and Latin because he was a Roman citizen. We never think like that. Living in the Roman world, talking to Gentile people who are coming from a complete complete abhorrent lifestyle of moral immorality mm-hmm. and now Paul is teaching them Torah and teaching them you know uh, holiness from the realm of the Torah from a legal perspective to the Corinthians and here we are reading the Corinthians we don't even know where it's found on the map right no wonder we're confused so what I try to do on my classes is let's talk about this verse but let's look at to whom it was written to what was the problem, what is the question, and what is the answer? And how does the principle of what we hear in the story we read applies to me today? Because I cannot pretend for something to apply to me when the audience were the Corinthians. But Mm -hmm. there's a problem within the Corinthians that I think we could all suffer. And by the way, it all boils down to righteousness, and moral behavior. Read the letters of Paul not from that perspective.
2: Right, okay. right.
1: Acts 15. So, Acts 15 says three things. They want to be part of the kingdom, not a problem, but they should abstain from what? From adultery?
0: Adultery, yeah. Idolatry? And, and, and us are e- eating animal sacrifice to other gods and
1: their blood. That's okay, Here you go, moral and nature. Yeah. Well, they're all Torah laws. They're all Torah laws. Yeah. So and what I do on my website, I try to outline for you exactly how that works. So mm-hmm. be patient, because when you go in, you go in through the Torah portions, mm-hmm. look into the 2012 Ancient New East. Before you read the Torah portion, try to study the 12-hour intro to give you a good foundation on the background. Okay. And then I always teach all the Torah portions in a thematic way. Then follow the gospel cycle. And, you know, you go slow and then study the temple with me. That's the best way that I could do it because I'm running around doing so much stuff. If you send me a question and I have a teaching, then I'll recommend you to my website to try to find that teaching. So instead of just two minutes, I'll give right. you an know, hour,
0: you know, of an answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah, I know that a lot of times it seems like a simple question, but there's so many details and a lot of information that goes into it, especially when you really dig into it instead of instead of just giving like this two-minute answer like, you know, on these Christian uh, question and answer shows. But right, I know right, just, right. just just by some of the teachings that I've seen you do and some some other people do, it's it's uh, well, a lot more a lot more details that you have to know in background before you can even really get down to the answer real quick i was going to ask you and if this is too long of an answer don't I worry got about a few, it.
1: yeah i got a few more minutes well, go ahead yeah
0: i was just going to say um going along with the whole the with the whole feast thing, and like you know with the how 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 christianity divides the law into moral ceremonial and 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 um judicial yeah ju- yeah yes, yes and yes. civil yeah civil and so it's like for for instance, like when I'm talking to one of my friends, I was talking to him who he's also, he's also kind of, he grew up Seventh-day Adventist, but now he's kind of, he got it. He, he started, he started um, studying into like preterism a little bit and then some other things, but I was talking to him about the, about the feasts and he was saying, well, how can, and then I was telling him, he, he obviously jumps to that same thing of, oh, so are going to go sacrifice animals now? And so when I was telling him, well, um, you know, we can't do that anymore because we don't have a temple, we don't have a priesthood. He was like, Well, are you still gonna keep the feasts? If the feasts are connected to animal sacrifices and you can't do the you can't do that part if you can't do it fully, since God is a God of of you know, he's a jealous god, he has very specific ways that he wants to be worshipped, how can you still keep the feasts if you can't offer the sacrifices?
1: Yeah, it's like it's like me telling me telling somebody it's like me telling someone, by the way, you can't keep your birthday anymore because it's your birthday. Are you going to go back in your mom's womb? <laughs> we don't think about it like that. Right. So you're celebrating the day that you were born. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, are we having them? Uh, do you still celebrate the way you came out of the womb? Or you celebrate a memorial of the day you were born? Right. You see the difference? Mm hmm. So without a temple, we cannot. He's right. We cannot do the sacrifices in the courtyard of notes because they're only specifically restricted to that area. We know that. Right. But we can still celebrate the memorial and the observance of that day as a remembrance of what happened, right? And what it represents. And I think the problem is many people do not understand the differences. So they assumed they're trying to, you know, do the sacrificial thing, which is encroachment. You cannot do it. You know, but you do the memorial. You do the remembrance of this represents this. And we do it on the day that God prescribed, just like people want to celebrate their birthday on the day that it has been already proven they were born. Okay. You see? So it's like, oh, I want to celebrate next week. Uh, I want to celebrate Passover next week. Well, Passover is not until like a few months from now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when someone tells me they want to do it their own way, I ask for their birthday. Oh, my birthday is April 11th. Okay, let's do it in July. They get offended, but that's not what my birthday is. Well, that's okay. the point. Your birthday is a celebration of the memorial of the day that you came into this world. The feast is a memorial, a remembrance of how it was done. So we study the process. We we do the prayers that are connected to it. We have a meal as a covenant to renewal. And we right. say, we remember that God redeemed us out of Egypt. Right. He already put that blood on the doorpost. We don't need to do that anymore. Right. right. You see, that's and that's something that... Sadly, because the common denominator with every question you've asked is that we don't really study the temple. Every question you just asked is connected directly to two things, cultural backgrounds and the temple.
0: Right. So So I've noticed, yeah, by watching some of your, some of your, yeah, yeah, it's always connected. It always goes back to that. So I do want to really start, start focusing, doing more study on focusing on that once, Get to us, you know, like a few other little questions here and there. Once I get that solidified no, in my mind, sure, then I'm sure, gonna... no
1: problem. And by the way, by the way, it's not like I'm trying to force the meaning to go back to the temple. Right. I never no, I do that. If I don't know it, I don't know it. But yeah. it's just um, 270, 279 commandments of the two of the 613 are directly linked to the temple, and another 145 are indirectly linked to the temple. Now think about the high number.
0: Right, exactly. I know. I, I heard you mention that before. And yeah. That's just, that's, yeah, it's like a third of the of the laws, or more than a third. More uh, than a third. Forty-some almost... 40 percent, right. I guess it would be. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, we go, we come to the church, we eliminate the whole Torah. Yeah. And then, so, But if you eliminate the Torah, you're not going to get the New Testament because the Torah gives you the storyline as to why Yeshua needed to come. Mm-hmm. But then Yeshua, almost every event that he went through, it happened on the Sabbath, on the feast, and in the temple. Yeah, L- look it up. I mean, ninety percent of the stuff he did it dealt with ninety percent, not all of it. It had to do with the Sabbath, the feast, and the temple. Right. But if you don't study the Sabbath, the feast, and the temple, you don't know what he means. Yeah. yeah. So then, so then, like the the purpose for his death. I know
0: that that I've heard. I've heard a few different a few different explanations from different Torah teachers. You know, there was there, there's the one that he had to die because he had to he had to fulfill the co- you know the broken covenant and he had to because of the two houses um you know like the house of Judah house of Israel um he had to be, he divorced the northern tribes so he, the, his death was a way for him to be able to remarry them because of the well, command that you can't remarry a, a woman that you've divorced already. Well, and then, go ahead.
1: I'm sorry, go ahead. That's a long question, so I'm trying to wait. (laughs) <laughs>
0: no, no, no. But then I was going to say, and then the other one was that he had to become our high priest because the temple was being done away with. So he had to. We we still needed to have a high priest to be able to um, offer. Uh, you know, we could get atonement from. Right. So that's the reason why. And I don't know well, if it's a combination of the two or what. Because like everybody always says, oh, he died to he he died because he to forgive our sins. And I think yeah, you know, you could see see in a simple way like that. But I think there's you know, it's, a, it's much broader topic than just that
1: the whole thing about the marriage thing i used to believe the same thing mm-hmm. and i still hold to it but it's a it's an explanation okay okay it's not the final only answer okay i come to find out after 22 years because i keep studying and learning so that was a basic way of understanding how the covenantal relationship of this married metaphor is restored so that's just one explanation okay, okay? let's take the whole thing about the yeshua as the high priest is he the high priest forever yes until he comes to the earth when he returns to the earth he's not going to be a priest because he even said in the, the book of hebrews chapters 8 verse 4 says that if he was on earth he would not be a priest for they're a according to the law that is true mm-hmm. okay so it's interesting that the only person who mentions yeshua as a high priest is the book of hebrews the only mention of that no other place in the new testament so you have to ask the question why is that because the temple has been destroyed at the siege of Jerusalem, the year 66-70. Mm-hmm. Now, the letter of Hebrews was written from Italy, you know, in the context of the tabernacle, trying to bring comfort to the people that, although the temple is going to be destroyed, not lose any hope, because God still now has his son who will do the, uh, the function of the high priest in the heavenly tabernacle, not the earthly tabernacle, mm-hmm. Okay, so which is fine. But did you know the book of Hebrews, I think chapters 10, tells you that he did that once and for all, and once he did that, now he's at the right hand of the Father, waiting until his enemies are put under his full stool. So that means that he he did that work once, that atonement, that remission. Now, do me a favor. Go to Hebrews chapters 9, 21. Talk is cheap. We got to prove this stuff. Don't believe what I say. Look it up. (laughs) If I'm wrong, man, listen, if I'm wrong, one thing you'll know from me. If I'm wrong, I'll change it. I don't have a problem with that. Right. Because I, I, I'm i serving just like you. And sadly, sometimes, sometimes people want to be right instead of trying to allow God to be right, and we serve. And I don't care about being right as long as the word is right. You know what I mean?
0: Exactly. So,
1: And if I have to change something, I'll change it, bro. I'm telling you right straight up. If I'm wrong in something, I'll admit it. It's like, man, I was there 10, 15 years ago. That was the beginnings of my walk. I understood it from that perspective, but I'm growing. So therefore now I can say, oh, I also understand this other aspect of it that would allow us to get a greater dimension. So let me share this. I want you to see this with me. Okay. Let me know where you can see it. Yeah, I got it. All right. So let's go to... Hebrews 9, I need to show you on my screen so you can see what I mean. And this will answer the other question that you had in regards to what he died for.
0: Okay.
1: Now, have you ever considered studying the book of Hebrews in the context of the Day of Atonement?
0: Yeah, I watched I watched your uh, your teaching on that too and that was kind of w- when when th- you presented that that was like something that totally opened up a brand new cool, like, you cool. know just yeah just totally mind-blowed.
1: Now, so watch this. Read that verse. Can you see it?
0: Yeah. Um let me just move this thing. Okay, yeah. Indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin.
1: Now, what's interesting is not every Bible reads the same way. Mm-hmm. In some Bibles, it says remission. Right. So what you do, you go here. This program is awesome. It's called Logos. So I opened the study. Yeah,
0: yeah I, ha- I have that also.
1: Beautiful. So look it up. It's the Hebrew, the Greek word is? offices. okay? Mm-hmm. Now, when you look into the definition of aphesis in the Lexham uh, 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 Bible Dictionary, mm-hmm. it means release forgiveness but forgiveness in the sense of a pardon like the president he just gave a whole bunch of pardons right okay it's not just forgive what he did he pardoned whoever did a transgression he gave them a complete remission of whatever they did to the point that those people can never be blamed for anything they did in the past because the president the ultimate authority in the country gave them a pardon no one can do that except the president so right. on yom kippur only god can forgive willful rebellious sin and communal sin so okay. god in fact god is giving yearly uh pardons to all of israel for whatever hidden and not hidden stuff okay okay so let's read this one right here afimi and this is going to be a really cool commentary that you need to see okay whoops i changed it sorry Now, watch this. It says, afimi, which is is derived from it. It says, um, I'm sorry, right here. It says, uh, there we go. The Septuagint uses afimi in such classical Greek sense as to let go, leave, give up, leave behind, allow, leave over, release. Release in the year of what? Release. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the Shemitah. It is it is used relatively seldom in the sense of forgive. So now we can trace that the word aphases that is used forgiveness of sin in Hebrews chapters 9, 22, really is out of context. It should be remission. Mm-hmm. So what does remission mean? Watch. It says where it does, where it is, it usually renders the Hebrew nasa to release from guilt or punishment. Mm-hmm. Now watch, or salach to forgive or pardon, like in Leviticus and whatever. Sometimes it stands for kipper to cover to make atonement. The one who forgives is God. Through the act of forgiveness, the relationship between God and man has been disturbed or destroyed by sin is reconstituted it's been restored now let me take you back you have the garden you have perfection rebellion into the garden god threw adam and eve out of the garden therefore now they can never be in the presence of god until what goes away what's what's keeping adam humanity from returning to the garden what's keeping us sin Yeah, but what is the wages of sin? Oh, death, yeah. Thank you. So now death is the curse of the law, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter how you keep the Torah. You can be blessed, but you still die. But through the resurrection of Yeshua, now God has promised us that we have eternal life, which is our gift. Okay. When we, when Yeshua returns, he comes to restore his people. He takes us to the garden, and now God can dwell among us because we are righteous and we are morally upright. Remember, no moral impurity can dwell in the, perf- in the presence of God. Okay. okay. Watch. It says of the fifty, of the fifty or so instances of aphesis in the Septuagint. 22 are found in leviticus 25 jubilee Mm -hmm. that's the chapter of jubilee and 27 for the hebrew word jubilee now when did you declare the jubilee when it fell in what day of the year on the day of atonement Yeah, that's why the book of Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of the blood, almost everything is purged with blood. Why? Because it's after the end of the Day of Atonement that then you declare the Jubilee. Everything is forgiven. God, the judge, forgave all of Israel. But this time, the work of Yeshua, he's not only forgiving Israel to be restored into the covenant, that because of idolatry, which is rebellion, led to death and outside the covenant, they can be restored, but also extended the good news to all of humanity because of Adam. Mm -hmm. So you're doing two things in one swoop. He is restoring Israel to take their place of honor so that then Israel will go give the news to all the nations. We have been restored. We can return. You have been forgiven. You have been remi- uh, remissioned. What do you need to do? Oh, you need the door through Yeshua. And the reason why you need the door is because in the ancient Near East, they believe in the underworld. There's this book that is called The Netherworld by Katz. It's an incredible book. They believe that uh, when you go into the underworld, there were seven doors before you met eternal life. So what an amazing language. Yeshua says, I am the door. It's not the underworld, God. It's me. I'm the door that God sent to restore everyone to the garden. All right. So check this out. It says, in general, it is more often used of the release of captives. I want you to look for Isaiah 50, 53 right now. Uh, Isaiah 61, I'm sorry. Look for Isaiah 61. It says, no, it's right here. You'll read in a minute. Okay. Says, in general, it is more often used to re- of the release of captives and slaves. Now, what did Yeshua say in Luke chapters four? What was the first thing he read? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good tidings Right? Uh-huh. To preach the good news? To right. who? To the oppressed, to the brokenhearted, and to, uh, to bring out pe- people from the prison, from death. Uh-huh. That's the first message Yeshua gave in the synagogue. I mean, that was his function. He says, I am here to be the covenantal renewal messenger, like Moses was, uh-huh. that all of you, if you return to me uh, th- through me to God, he guarantees you eternal life. We can return to the garden. That's why Yeshua is called the last Adam. Now, remember when Yeshua resurrected, mm-hmm. Miriam went to the to the garden tomb, and then she saw, she thought he was a gardener. Right. Well, wait a minute. Wasn't that with the job of Adam in Genesis? Yeah. You see, so it's the, it's the motif of restoration to the original order. Now, watch this. Only once does Ephesus appear in the sense of forgiveness. Leviticus 16, 26, and there is without a Hebrew equivalent used as an interpretation for Azazel. Why? Because Azazel, the scapegoat, is the one that took the sin of Israel away from God. Mm-hmm. It's a metaphor of I'm taking your sin away never remembering anymore. Is that making sense? Yeah. Now, your homework is to find every verse. And I can show them to you right here. Look. Did you know that the word aphesis is connected to the Hebrew word jubilee? You can look it up. Yeah. In, the Hebrew, in the Hebrew equivalent, it takes you to jubilee. Look, it's right here. See, letting go. And the Hebrew says, jubilee, the, which is release of slaves, remission of debt. That's what we were purchased, mm-hmm. because we had a debt. Rebellions led us into slavery. So now the blood of Messiah ratifies the covenant to restore us into the new owner. Not for us to do whatever we want to do, it's for us to shift our loyalty to Pharaoh, from Pharaoh to God. That's why this week's Torah portion, our last two weeks' Torah portion was that they were building big cities for Pharaoh. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So you're building cities for Pharaoh. God says, no, 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 I'm going to redeem you. So now you can build me a house. Mm -hmm. I want you to build me a house. I want you to work for me free with rights, equity for everyone, not being oppressed by that guy. Have you learned your lesson, Israel? That's how they treat you in the nations. I don't treat you that way. Please come to me. And i will dwell among you but you need to be holy so i'm going to give you freedom and i will never remember anymore i mean that's incredible so watch you see all these verses yeah you need to study those verses because everywhere those verses appear i want you to go back and when you read them i want you to read it with the word jubilee instead of forgiveness because now we know the greek word is remission, which is a pardon that was basically is a is a precursor to the Jubilee. Is that making sense? So Yeshua's death and resurrection is God's message to the nations that death no longer has any authority in your life if you enter into a covenantal relationship with God, and then you obey him so that he can bless you. So then the blessing to Abraham in Genesis 18, verse 18 to 19 will come true. For I've chosen Abraham, for I know that he will teach his children to protect the way of the lord and to do righteousness and justice you see so therefore now we have a mandate to work for him on the earth his garden to return humanity to his presence but you cannot do it if you're morally impure yeah Yeah. anyway so that's all i have to say about that all right man i have to head out thank you for your time brother